Alaska's newsmakers. Action Line KINY. And good morning, everybody. You are listening to Action Line on KNY. I'm your host, Jordan Lewis. Joining me in this studio, I have Juneau School District Superintendent Frank Hauser. Frank, how have you been? I've been good, Jordan. It's good to see you. We were just talking. It's been, gosh, a few months since before winter break that we've had a chance to talk. So yeah. it's nice to be back, and it's good to see you, and it's nice to talk to everybody. Yeah, I think the last time you and I talked was uh, back in November, actually, now that I think about it. Now, I you'll notice, and as I'm sure you noticed earlier, my note sheet's pretty, pretty empty because there's <laughs> one particular topic I, I knew we were going to hit today, which is really talking about the deficit and the situation the school district has found itself in now. So kind of walk me through how was that deficit originally found and how has that kind of shifted as, you know, the city's been looking at it, the district's been looking at it, the board has been looking at it. What are we going, what's going on here? Oh, well, you know, Jordan, I appreciate the question and being able to, you know, provide some more information to you, the community. Um, you know, I'm new to the Juno area and, you know, I am in the unenviable position of being new here, uncovering a really difficult situation and delivering really bad news. Um, but like I've told the community here, my job isn't to tell people what they want to hear, it's to tell the truth. And the truth is that the district must make both immediate and long-term financial changes. Um, the districts, you know, we're, we're focused on addressing the situation with full transparency. And I think as we move forward, I think we're going to be stronger than before because I think we're going to really have an opportunity with the board to look at, get feedback from community, look at our programs, look at the academic outcomes and really trying to find some, you know, structures that really are going to, you know, focus on the needs of the community and our students. To kind of go to the question that you asked, like, how do we get here? You know, tell, tell us what happened. So um, every district in Alaska has a routine yearly audit. And after the district's recent audit in November, uh, which had some findings, I brought in an experienced school finance specialist who spent the holidays going through the district's budget line by line. And now that audit that happened in November was actually for last year's um, audit. And so the district's budgets that are prepared and adopted uh, the spring before, um, and so that, that the budget that we're in right now, F, what we refer to as the FY2024, the FY24 budget, was actually adopted last spring and went before the assembly in uh, April of uh, really earlier this year. And so this was the budget written and adopted last spring and, and really took place before I even got into Juno. And so, the school's finance specialist that I found and, and you know, uh, brought uh, in to kind of help with the budget development from last spring really discovered in the FY24 budget that the the budget overstated the district revenues by nearly $6 million, $5.9 million, but it also understated district expenses by about $2.1 million. And so it, it's not that there was all this money uh, in the district that's now gone, that was here and is now gone. It's that the budget was based on revenue the district never had. And it's like that there was an attempt to maintain the status quo, all the schools, low people teacher ratios, even when the district couldn't afford it. And like I said, that's, that's something a lot of people are thinking is that the money just went somewhere. The money, the money was never here. It was how it was um, kind of reported. And so during the routine audit from the 2022-23 school year, um, it also revealed that there was a, a $2 million deficit in addition to um, what I just stated, that overstatement of the revenue and um, the understatement of the expenditures. And so that combining those two pieces, what was uh, about a $7.5 million um, difference in the budget for FY24, uh, which was the deficit of about $7.5 million that we're kind of currently looking at, in addition to that carryover from the um, audit that came from last school year, FY23, of about $1.94, close to $2 million. 
that really put the district uh, in a situation where we're facing a combined $9.5 million deficit projection. And now it's important to point out that $7.5 million for FY24, that is a projected deficit as of June 30th, 2024. So at the end of this fiscal year. And so that is if nothing changes and the district continues to spend as if it was, you know, I'm just going to continue on, uh, that is what that deficit is because it was, um, you know, projected out. And so, you know, that's, that's something to keep in mind. And, and with that in mind, it's important for me to say, like, the district really took immediate actions to address the projected uh, budget deficit. I set a goal early on of a million dollar reduction by June 30th. And I'm honestly, I'm pleased to say that the district has actually met that goal and exceeded that goal. So as of uh, today, and there'll be a, if it hasn't already gone out, it's going out probably in minutes. I think it, my phone kind of did a little uh, kind of vibrate. So I think I got the message from the district that kind of talks about uh, kind of a summary of some of the new information in the newsletter that we're sending out um, that talks about that to date, $1.65 million in savings have been identified through operational costs. Um, we've, you know, really been trying to, you know, freeze all of our supply budgets and trying to uh, find additional costs, uh, carryover allotment categorization, and identifying really excesses in the budget in health insurance. Um, we were able to realize about a $1.65 million savings so far, and we are still going through um, the budget and looking at ways of finding some savings, um, you know, just in the immediate term. And so um, that's a good, that's for me, it's, it's, it's a good sign because those identified savings have reduced the total projected deficit to just under $8 million from uh, what was a $9.5 million. And so, you know, we're, we're continuing to uh, identify uh, areas where we might be able to have some shared services as well. We're working with, uh, you know, and getting ready to have some conversations with the city to see if there are some opportunities for some shared services and being able to, you know, support some of the programs that we have in schools with some of our partners. And so we're still working on some of those immediate, um, you know, terms or immediate items that we might be able to do to address the current deficit that we're facing. But we're also looking at FY25 next school year and how we can provide more structural changes to realize savings um, as we are, you know, moving into, uh, you know, the planning for the FY25 budget right now at the same time, because that budget has to be uh, ready and before the assembly and balanced by uh, April 5th. Okay. So let me see if I can, uh, let me break this down so I understood it right, correctly. So the big part of this is the district was spending money it didn't have in order to meet a certain standard it had going and just kept doing that. And that's how we ended up in this situation. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, the, the overall thought is, you know, the, the district-based, the, the budget that was developed last, last spring um, had a revenue that was over by almost $6 million. And so uh, there's a combination of things that kind of led to that. One of them was, you know, enrollment numbers didn't realize uh, at the level that, um, you know, was budgeted for. And so that has an impact in the foundation formula, the amount of money that the district receives from the state. Um, there was also a miscategorization of what is presenters on behalf. So it's kind of the retirement of on behalf and, and that there was about $4.3 million that was put into revenues of on behalf. Um, but that that revenue really isn't revenue. And so it should have been categorized in uh, where the staff was supposed to be. And so that's where, you know, you have that swing in, in kind of the staffing costs and, you know, um, why that revenue looks like it was over projected because of the way it was put in and miscategorized uh, in the budget. And so in going through truing that up, putting it in recal 
categorizing it where it should be, which is spread out in the salaries, because it was supposed to have been in the salaries. It's just where it was categorized. It showed up as revenue that really wasn't um, revenue. And so that's where you get that uh, essentially that situation where it looks like there was more revenue. So they overstated the revenue. And of course, the expenses, like I said, uh, were understated by about $2.1 million. Okay. So I think the big thing I'm trying to sort of take away from this is so it was usually there was over over kind of overestimates with the revenue line of it. it was like oh we're gonna have more students well that didn't happen and so that plays a role there and then the expenses weren't calculated right is my my kind of understanding of that yeah they were they were mis they were misplaced in the budget so where it showed like it was it was counting as revenue in this on behalf which is money that essentially comes from the states what we call a pass through it it comes in from the state we we spend it, it comes in from the state and goes out so it's essentially a net zero and so it's just it comes in but by putting when it was put in the revenue section what that did is it created um, this increase in the revenues but really it shouldn't have been in revenues because that it, it it comes in and then it goes out and so it needed to be placed in the revenues where it should have been in salaries and benefits which is where it is now and that's where you show that you know it was um, overstated the revenues because it should have been um, it, it should have been balanced out and it was put in the uh, on behalf when it should have been in the um, salaries and benefits and distributed out that way and so that's where it's that's where that overstatement of the revenue comes in is how it was categorized in the budget at the time and in the spring. Okay. Well, we are going to have to move into our break. When we come back, I want to talk with you about some of the ideas that are being thrown around for yes. how we get that deficit figured out. Yes, absolutely. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. And welcome back to Action Line on KINY. Now, before we get back to talking about the budget deficit, uh, Superintendent Howes and I were having a bit of a conversation between the show that I want to circle back to. Because we were talking about how, and I mentioned to the superintendent, that this week the governor made it school choice week. And you wanted to talk about, you know, the amount of school choice that the Juno School District has. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, that's that's one of the things I think is really important when, you know, uh, when I talk to families and I talk to students and really want the community to understand that, you know, the Juno School District is has got a lot of different options for families. And we talk about parent choice and schools of choice. You know, really, our school districts across the state provide a lot of alternative education opportunities and schools of choice for parents to choose from. Just in the Juno School District alone, we've got the Home Bridge Homeschool Program, which is a great program uh, where students can work at their own pace using homeschool, uh, you know, uh, you know, instruction. Plus, they have access to some classes in the district as well if they want to do that. So there's really good opportunities there. We've got Montessori Borealis. We've got the uh, TCLL program, Yakuska Dakihiti Alternative High School. You know, there's there's so many different options and opportunities for families that are, you know, some families are looking for and students are looking for that traditional, I want that traditional high school experience. I want that neighborhood elementary school or middle school experience. But a lot of families are like, you know, I want a smaller environment. I want this focus for my, um, you know, school. And, you know, we offer Juno Community Charter School, too, that, you know, have different approaches and different, you know, ideas for instruction. And I think that's something a lot of people don't realize, that your public schools actually offer a lot of different choice and opportunities for alternative and optional programs. And so I, I appreciate you, uh, you know, bringing that up because, I mean, we've got a lot of great opportunities in the Juno School District. I really encourage people to look at the different schools, uh, not only our traditional schools, but our um, alternative programs as well. So a lot of great, great things going on in the Juno School District. Okay. Now that we've hit on that, because I want to make sure we touch like because we're having a really good, pretty good conversation about yes, that during we the break. What are some of the plans or thoughts behind how we can get that budget deficit resolved? I've heard, I mean, obviously walking around town, you hear people saying all sorts of things. Yes. But 
as a representative of the school district, what is the school district actually thinking about? No, well, thanks for the question, Jordan, and to help provide some clarification. I mean, I think I said it in the first segment. Um, where we are currently at, we are facing a significant deficit in the Juno School District. And so as we're looking to try to address that, it would take, you know, just... I can't even think like hundreds of $50,000 like line item reductions to try to reach $7.8 you know, million. And so the realities are we really need to look at some structural changes to try to address in a, on a large scale um, the, the deficit. And so some of the ideas that are you know, being talked about with the board and out in the community, and I actually later on today, I'm going to be meeting with the uh, students at uh, Juno Douglas High School. I met with uh, Thunder Mountain High School students a couple days ago to talk about some of these reconfiguration models that are really just concepts to think about and so we're, really the district is looking at and considering and you know kind of reflecting on three concepts the first one really is for you know uh, the the sixth graders essentially sixth graders uh, fifth graders when they progress on to sixth grade instead of going to a middle school they would actually stay at the elementary school and so all three models that are being considered actually have sixth graders staying at the elementary schools and you know there's a lot of research research that supports that you know sixth graders actually do quite well staying at elementary school um, and so you know from an academic outcomes perspective we see that as being a, a benefit to be able to have that um, you know structure in place and then in that same model number one um, you know looking at the numbers uh, with sixth graders staying at the elementary schools of course Zonta Kahini and Floyd Dryden numbers reduced and so consolidating those schools into one school and having a seventh and eighth grade middle school. And then, of course, in model one scenario, you know, your high schools will remain the same. You've got Thunder Mountain High School and JD High School. And so that's kind of that model one. Another model that, you know, has been uh, talked about and is one that is, um, I think, really provides a lot of academic outcome opportunities and professional development for staff is a model that's very similar to model one. Sixth graders stay at their elementary schools, but essentially elementary schools are paired up. And so they're paired up in that, uh, for example, uh, Ock Bay Elementary School and Mendenhall River Community Schools would kind of be paired up. And one of the schools would be a school that would provide uh, instruction for kindergarten through third grade. And the other school would be for fourth through, fourth through sixth grade. And that provides a lot of opportunities for targeted uh, interventions for specific grade level uh, needs. It also provides some great specific, for example, the Alaska Reads Act. We talked about that earlier in one of our uh, you know, conversations earlier in the year, it really focuses on kindergarten through third grade. And if you have a school that just is focused on and has only kindergarten through third grade students in it, you can really have targeted instruction and professional development to meet some of those needs. And so that's the other thing. Essentially, elementary schools in kind of this model two would be paired up and you'd have one elementary school that would be a kindergarten through third grade and one elementary school that'd be a fourth through sixth grade. And in that scenario two, the middle school, because sixth grades stay at uh, the elementary, would combine. And of course, the high schools would um, continue to, uh, you know, be our two uh, mid-sized high schools that we have in the Juneau area. Now, Model 3 that has been talked about it has the same elementary configuration with the sixth graders staying at the elementary school and kind of that pairing of schools, 1K3, 1, 4, 6. Your middle schools would combine, but some of the conversations with this combined middle school would actually bring ninth graders into the, the middle school, or a junior high concept, if you will. And so you'd have seventh, eighth, and ninth graders, and those students would be um, housed at you know Thunder Mountain, uh, the school, Thunder Mountain. And so it would be a seventh through nine school. And then Juno Douglas would be 10th through 12th. And part of the reason for you know that kind of split when you combine those 
if there's a capacity right now. Both schools together are, are really beyond the capacity of any one of our high schools right now. And so trying to figure out how to to find that model where potentially there's a consolidation at the high school level. And, and that's kind of some of the conversations that are up, uh, that are being discussed right now. And, you know, we've gotten good feedback from community. Like I said, I've been talking to students and I'll be talking to students later on today about some of these models. And so those are some of the concepts that are being discussed uh, right now around some, you know, school reconfigurations that might be able to, you know, one, focus on academic outcomes, providing professional development opportunities, really trying to provide those services to, you know, by being able to consolidate classes, you're able to maximize some of the programs that are happening in the schools too. Because by having two schools, for example, at a middle school level, two smaller schools, it becomes more difficult, especially when we're dealing with trying to address a deficit. Uh, making sure that you can provide a full slate of programs and electives and all those courses that we know are valuable for students. I mean, I'm a music teacher. Uh, you know, that's, I, I, I really value the electives and what the electives, um, the impact that they have on connecting with students and, and really being a primary reason sometimes why they come to school is to participate in the electives. And so I want to be able to provide that. The board wants to be able to provide those opportunities for, for students as well, which is why they're looking at some of these changes. We have to address the structural, you know, uh, the deficit that we have right now, looking at structure changes to make a more immediate impact on that, but also still focusing on providing a high quality education that the community of Juneau has, has expected from their schools and is a commitment of mine to continue to provide to our students in the Juneau area. Gotcha. I think it's interesting. You you mentioned, you know, mostly that larger scale structural changing of, hey, maybe make these schools one school in not cutting on those electives because I oftentimes when you hear that kind of a conversation, especially with school budgets, that tends to be the thing that people think about first is what classes do you remove? What staff do you, you know, get rid of? Instead, you're proposing a situation where it's like, well, why don't we just make these two schools one school or split how they do things? But that would lead me to question how would staffing work under that new structuring? Well, you know, the one thing I would say is, you know, a lot of people, when, when I hear concepts like, oh, just close the school, you know, you'll save millions and millions of dollars. It's not as simple as that because the students are still there. So, I mean, you still are going to have to have teachers teach the, the students. You still have to have paraeducators to support the students and, you know, the other supports that go into making sure good, high quality education is happening. There are some redundancies in some, you know, positions that you would have. I mean, if you have two schools that have, you know, specific positions, you know, there are redundancies if you move the students, but the bulk of the savings. Um, would really be in the redundancies. And so, uh, red, you know, the redundant positions that are at both schools that you wouldn't need. But there's not a huge savings in that, but there are realized savings. And I think you start with these larger structural changes to realize, you know, more significant savings. Uh, you know, these are just rough estimates of staffing costs um, currently, you know, and looking at the numbers for closing of schools. So you'd save about 688 to nine uh, to $700,000 if you were to close an elementary school because of redundant, you know, kind of positions in staff. And, you know, there's some energy and utility savings as well, but, you know, that's kind of a general savings. Middle schools are around $900,000, and then a high school is about $1.3 million. So people always say, it's, you know, close a high school, you'll save $10 million because you won't have to have all the staff. And so that's not the case. So when we start looking Looking at consolidating, obviously, you know, staff is something that's really important. I mean, there, I think it was said earlier by one of our board members that, you know, there's, there's, there's not going to be a school, there's not going to be, you know, uh, anyone that's going to not feel the impacts of, of these 
this current deficit that we have. My goal, the board's goal, is to make sure we still provide those programs that are valued um, to still be able to provide good opportunities for students to really be able to, you know, have that high quality education and really try to work with, you know, how we manage attrition, how we staff our buildings and trying to, one, address, you know, the deficit that we have, which will probably result in a reduction of staff. But how do we do so in a way that really focuses on maximizing, you know, our savings while also still being able to provide some of those programs? You deal with the structural changes first so we can get those that, that big savings first, and then you can start making more targeted, um, you know, kind of approaches to um, address addressing some of the remaining deficit that is, is there. And of course, that's where it'll just, it comes down to looking at what programs, like I said, depending on how we consolidate some of the schools, you know, what some of the staffing needs might be for those buildings. And so, you know, but really, I mean, the staff that we have in the Geno School District are amazing. And I just, every single day from the teachers to the paraeducators to the bus drivers, you know, everyone has a role in educating our kids. And I just think that, you know, as we work through this, I just appreciate all the work that they're doing. And one of my goals is to be completely and totally transparent the board and I really focus on being transparent, getting the information out there, and getting the feedback from families. And so that's been something that's been really important for us to make sure that the community is aware of what's going on, which is why we're sending out the newsletters. And next week, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have community input forms. So stay tuned for that. We'll have more information on that. And so we really want to make sure that people know you can get all the information on our meetings on our main webpage. Um, there's a uh, block on our page that talks about our meetings, and you can download all the information, watch the meetings, and just see the the charts that are being talked about so we really want to be transparent with the information because this is a community um, you know we're a community school we value the input from the community guys well on that superintendent Hauser, thank you very much for coming in i'll be sure to chat with you again next month and get an update on how things are going but thank you for coming on to the show oh thank you Jordan. really appreciate it. always great talking to you all righty you've been listening to action line on kiny Action Line. Weekday mornings. Action Line. If it happens in Southeast, you'll hear it on Action Line. K-I-N-Y.